guys, so I just wanted to do a quick introduction to this episode um, as it was recorded a, a few months ago um, at the Outdoorama. We brought Seth McCullough from Bully's Game Calls on. Uh, we've been partners with Seth and his company for the last two turkey seasons. Um, we use all his turkey calls. Um, I personally have only been turkey hunting for one season, so I don't know a whole lot about them, but John and Nico are pretty much experts in the subject, and uh, they seem to love um, all the all the calls that, that uh, Bullies Game Calls makes. Uh, so we got Seth on talking about turkey hunting and we figured it was a great time to drop this episode since turkey season here in Michigan starts on Saturday. Um, things are a little different right now since everyone's being quarantined and isolated and social distancing and it's tough to get together. Um, I'm actually at, the, at work today uh, at the firehouse uh, so um, Hopefully everybody's out there being safe and uh, not going crazy, too crazy. Hopefully you're able to get out and do some turkey hunting uh, this weekend or, or in the next few weeks. And, uh, and hopefully we get through this, this whole thing sooner than later. Uh, one quick uh, company I wanted to drop out there. This, this podcast episode is, is brought to you in part, part, partially by a company called Duke Cannon. Uh, Duke Cannon makes men's grooming products. They make uh, shaving cream. Bar soap, shower shower gel, uh, shampoo, deodorant, cologne, all of it. Um, we've been working with their company for about a year now. Uh, they uh, they do make some awesome products. Uh, we we really like them just because they 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 give back to veterans organizations with with uh, some of the money from each purchase, and uh, their their personality meshes well with ours. Uh, if you read some of their labels, they're pretty funny. Um, they just provided the. They just sent to us 1,000 bottles of uh, hand sanitizer. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. So they sent me. They sent 1,000 bottles of hand sanitizer to my house um, for for us to to get out to some of our uh, some of our brother fire brothers and sisters in the fire service or fire department, Detroit fire department specifically, and. Uh, in a time like this, when we, you know, it's hard to find hand sanitizer and cleaning supplies, um, we definitely weren't going to turn down that offer, and, and they sent it to us, no strings attached. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there because I think people should know about the good companies that are taking care of us. Uh, a couple breweries and, and distilleries, Two James and, and Griffin, Griffin Claw, have also helped out and stepped up and sent us, sent all the Detroit firehouses um, hand sanitizer. Uh, so Duke Cannon has been one of our partners and uh, we'll continue to support that company and we hope you will too. Um, if you want to save 15% uh, off, you can use our code, it's Time's Up 15 and uh, it'll save you 15% off. So uh, I'll, I'll shut my mouth and we'll get to this episode and hope you enjoy it. Thanks. All right, welcome to another episode of Times of Outdoors podcast. We are again at the Outdoorama here in Michigan. Um, so if you haven't noticed, we've recorded a couple here this weekend, and these are going to be airing throughout the next couple months. So you might be listening to this uh, a month after it it was recorded. Um, this one's going to be aired probably right before turkey season Yeah, we're starts. probably going to do it right before turkey because season. Because we are sitting here joined by Seth McCullough, the owner. Uh, that's how you say it, right, Seth? The owner. Yep. The owner. Set it right. Set it right. Seth McCullough, the, the owner, owner of Bully's Game Calls, who, um, as I'm sure you know, this is the guy that makes the turkey calls that we use. So 
again, we're not no sponsorship, nothing like that. We went last year. We met, and uh, uh, Nico and I went over there. Ended up buying one of your pot calls, and said, "Damn, this thing sounds awesome." So, next thing you know, Seth's here, and he hooks us up with some turkey calls. We shoot all the birds that we shot last year over them, and now well, we finally got you on a podcast. We formed a good little partnership with this guy. We're we're glad. Yeah, yeah, it's been good, and um, appreciate all the promotion you guys have done for me. Uh, my boys were over here too in uh, last year. Actually, my nephew and my son, and we came back over to the booth. Dad, you got to check out these times up outdoors, guys. Man, this stuff's cool. So then that night at the hotel room, we were watching videos that you guys had on YouTube and stuff. So sure. it was a good time. Sure, sure. So I was gonna do uh, main reason I wanted to come over here. You've been busy with seminars, so we're not gonna keep you long. You've been right. sitting there talking to the whole world, but I did want to know. Because we haven't figured this out yet, the whole the backstory behind Bully's game call. So, start off like kind of chronologically. We're gonna say, say when did you start? When did Bully's game calls become a thing? Well, I, I started turkey hunting in the mid '90s in Michigan, and um, got just addicted to it right away. A friend took me. Probably like most of us, you know, when we first start, mm. somebody takes you. Um, so then, then the next couple years, I um, had to. Uh, the next couple of years, I uh, figured out how to do it myself, and um, and I was taking people out. And in 2000, um, I had started making mouth calls for my own contest use. Sure. And um, a guy had told me, you know, you'll never be as good at mouth calling until you start making your own. So I started doing that, and um, then in 2004, um, I just had this brain idea that I was going to go and uh, start my own call company. I had a friend that was a cabinet maker. Okay. And I took a box full of turkey calls to his house, and we went out in the shop, and we started toying around with stuff until we got the bullies call that we got now, sure. the, the Hookbuster 3. And then I worked on the glass calls, and uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the box calls, and then we just, you know, every year I try to come up with something a little different or whatever, you know. But Sure, so you've been in business for, I mean, for yourself essentially since, what, 2004 you said? Yeah, so like, what is that now? It's uh, 23, that'd be 16 years. 16 years, years yeah. yeah. And so I noticed that uh, that you had your boys out there. I actually talked to Thomas yesterday. So we, uh, our big one is the Nimrod. That's our favorite. Our favorite call is that, that mouth call Nimrod. That's I don't know what kind of cut you would call that. Is there a certain? Yeah, it's a, it's a cutter style call. A cutter style call? Yep, yep. And so that's the one that Nico and I really, really like. We blew that thing out last year, shot yep. 27 birds over that thing. And so I noticed at the booth you didn't have any. And I asked Thomas, I'm like, oh, you were doing a seminar. I'm like, what the hell, man? You guys are out of Nimrods. He's like, uh, I didn't uh, I didn't make any. So I was going to get that. How did you get the the boys into into making them? So so um, the boys have always, I mean, they've kind of grown up at the shows, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. And when they were little, we, we'd travel around. And we were doing 12, 14 shows a year, you know. Um, now we pretty much just stick to Michigan. Okay. Um, but yeah, the boys have always just been—they've always liked to hunt, and they've always—they've um, always wanted to be a part of it. And uh, I've put the oldest boy to work, Caleb, too. But um, Thomas has always had a little bit more of that um, entrepreneurial type. Sure. You sure. know, and he takes after dad, maybe a little yeah, more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I told him, I said, "Hey, man, like you need to." Uh, why don't you start making these calls because I was so busy because I have another business too. Yep. Like you guys, I mean, I have my own masonry business also. Mm-hmm. So I said, if you start making these mouth calls, you know, we can split the money or you can have the money and then, then, then um, 
you know, then that way you're you got a, a nice little job for a 16 year old kid. Oh yeah. And then I've got uh, I've got a lot more time on my hands, and that's how kind of how he started. So he started making stuff a couple years ago, and I didn't let him. We didn't use the stuff he made till last year. It takes a little while to get good at making oh, sure. golf clubs. Yeah. So he and so he made the Nimrod that me and Nico were blowing. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. So now he's he's definitely got the knack for it. Well, for sure. I told him, <laughs> I told him, you know, everybody's gonna ask you for that Nimrod because that's the one you didn't make to bring. He's like, yeah, I know, and it won. We hadn't been here for an hour. We talked to you yep. guys, and you guys asked about the Nimrod. So I think he probably learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah, he's down. He's back at home. I talked to your wife, and I, I bet she's back home making them right now. <laughs> yep. But no, that's awesome that you guys get him out in the, the outdoors. You said you've been you've been hunting with him for. Your, yeah, I think he shot his first turkey when he was eight years old. Yeah, so he's he's no stranger to calling turkeys. Yeah. Um, backing up, you were talking about you you made your own. You you made bullies game calls for you. For competition you said that's something you still do something you used to do is actually comp yeah i used to i i won the um michigan wild turkey hunters association state championship in 2016 sure and that was the last contest that i've been in um i would like to get back into the contest but there's only one in the state now and it's in grand rapids at ultimate sports show west and um I get a lot of speaking engagements on Saturday nights, Saturday afternoons at churches and okay. stuff like that. So um, just the last few years, I just haven't been able to make it work. But I would like to get back into it. So you said you won the state. How many How many competitions have you been in, you say, it, roughly? Oh, I'm sure it's probably a shitload. Probably 50, 60. Uh -huh. I don't know. So you're, you're, you're much of you. We can actually call you an expert caller. Cause you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what an expert caller is. I, I um. Yeah, I, I think the contest calling is great because it teaches you um, how to do the calls right. But uh, to be a to be a good turkey caller and a good turkey hunter, I, I think um, the calling is uh, important, but not not. And that's just vital. like anything. I mean, because we're avid duck hunters too, and you you see these guys that are out there competitively duck calling that are just doing these crazy feeder calls. I mean, like as fast as you can go. And then, you know, making these cages squeals and doing all this stuff. I'm not saying that you're not app using that in the field, but there's a point where you're overcalling for turkeys. And that's what Nico and I are very adamant about not overcalling, especially on Michigan birds. Mm -hmm. And so when that's what my question was going to be is how does that transpire from you being a competitive, you know, if you got a competition on Saturday and then you and the boys go out on Sunday, you find yourself like in a speed trap, like, all right, I got to dial myself down, or is there just two different mindsets? No, it's just to... like it's basically like two different sports. You know, um, the the turkey calling is different than the duck calls too. Mm -hmm. So, like a turkey calling contest, we have they give you a list of five calls that you got to do. You have two minutes to do each call, and the judge tells you, okay, start this one. Okay, start this one. It's not like the duck and the goose where the guys get up there and they do their routine. Just a freestyle. Yeah, okay. it's freestyle. We're, ours is a little more structured and and so you don't you don't got to worry about that too much but yeah i think as a contest caller for sure you have contest you or you have a lot of confidence in your calling so you probably do tend to overcall more sure but i've learned over the years that same thing that curiosity kills the cat and the tom yep you know so <laughs> so um less is more sometimes for sure and um you know i think a lot of it to me um is learning how to read the gobble of that bird. You know, if you make a call and he cuts you off, you don't need to call anymore. 
He's already in route. He, he's coming. Mm -hmm. You know, if you make a call and you get done with your call and then all of a sudden he gobbles after you're done, then I'm going to work that bird a little bit more, try to get him fired up more. Mm -hmm. And if you get a bird that's gobbling five to ten seconds after, he, you're probably not going to call that bird. He's probably in a strutting area somewhere. He's hand up somewhere. He's hand up, mm -hmm. and he's just saying, hey, I like your voice. We're over here. Yeah, come on over to me. Yep. That's awesome. See, I, that's, I've never even heard that. I've talked to a lot of turkey hunters, and I'm glad that we're having this podcast right now because I just I just learned this, and I'm gonna I'm definitely applying that to this season. I mean, we we've been successful, you know, hunting the roost, and this is a good transition as to to my next segment is about your turkey hunting experiences. But mainly, what what I try to do is I we do a lot of scouting, as I'm sure everybody else that's an avid uh, turkey hunter do. So I I want to see where they're roosted. And I do a lot of walking during the off season, just mm -hmm. before the season's getting ready to ramp up, so I can find their dust bowls, find their their midday strutting area, and that's where I set myself up on. I I really don't do too much calling, especially midday, but you know during during the times that that most people don't want to shoot a bird midday, that's when I'm not really calling as much and setting up on the roost and i've been very very successful doing that how what are what are your things that you look for when you go out and you set up in a new spot basically those exact things i mean to me the number one thing you need to know when you're scouting is um where the roost tree is because the turkey's day starts and stops at that tree sure so that gives you a morning spot that gives you an evening spot sure um the dust bowl is a great midday spot strutting areas all those things are things you need to look for. And the way I like to scout is um, I tell everybody, if, if you're the best caller in the entire world and you're on the south side of a turkey that wants to head north, you're not going to call that bird. I, I can, yep, I can so, agree with that. So, so the scouting, basically all you're scouting to me is what do we got to do to get in the way? We want to be in their way. Wherever they want to go, that's where we want to be. Back. Then we use our calling, our decoys and all of the things that we've learned scouting to our advantage to get in their way, be where they want to be, and make it happen. Awesome. So essentially, the same goes same wrong. Same thing you guys And I'm glad do. coming from a professional guy, but we're doing it right just on accident. We just figured it out ourselves. But uh, um, And you do, am I wrong to say you do most of your hunting not in Michigan? Is that correct? Well, I do two weeks a year in Nebraska every year guiding. Mm -hmm. um, we actually have an outreach slash ministry camp called uh, – SkyQuest Outdoor Ministries, so I'm out there for two weeks, and we actually only have two um, three-day hunts out there, but we spend a lot of time scouting so that the guys that are coming out there can be successful, and um, it's a great time. I love it out there. I would say I probably do more hunts in Michigan, but when I'm out there, it's 24-7. Sure, sure. You do so, more more hours out there, yeah, I'm sure, than you do yeah. days out here. Yeah. And, uh, Another question, the, the big the big turkey hunter, where are you at in your Grand Slam? I'm sure you got one. I don't. I've, no? I've got them all except for my um, Florida. Oh, the was that the, the Rio? No, the, uh, oh, the um, Osceola. Osceola. Yeah, okay. So, and when yeah. You're, we got this question yesterday from the Chronicles guy because I believe uh, Nico's also still got to get his Osceola. He was asking the differences between the Easterns and Miriams and the Rios. How, how does that change you, what you're doing tactic-wise? Um, mostly the same tactics with the exception of terrain. Okay. You know, like the, the terrain in Nebraska is completely different. Like 
everything rolls together out there and then you have timber bottoms with cottonwoods and scrub oak and black oak and mm -hmm. all that and that's where they roost out there so then um they might hit they might hit the prairie after they roost and 15 minutes later they're two miles away yeah you know so it's just different kind of hunting but then again you know where their day stops and where their day starts true you know so um but i've found the western birds to be a lot more vocal um and i think that's a, a terrain thing too in michigan and we're hunting in the woods and we're hunting in you know fields and stuff obviously but there's a lot more trees here and i think that birds aren't as vocal because there's so many predators that can sneak up on them easy. sure yeah right you know out there when they hit that prairie man you ain't sneaking up on them no they're, they're gonna come see you coming i mean the best chance they have to, to hide in is is in a rolling hill somewhere down in a in a little bit of a valley of a hill and here like you're saying i mean you've got everything from coyotes up, up north to wolves and i think our predators definitely and that's what scott was saying the same thing he said they're just more vocal out there because they're they can be they can be yeah mm -hmm. and uh they're um he was also saying something on 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 flock sizes too, group sizes. He said it's nothing to see a group of hundred Miriams together. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Out here, you if you see a hundred Miriams in a field, you better be hunting there like right now because they're gone. Yeah, and then you find like you find like one or two really big cottonwoods right next to each other out there, down in the bottom where they have a nice little, you know, takeoff mm -hmm. spot to get up in the tree easy. I mean there'd be. 60 70 birds roosted in two trees jeez oh Pete. that's crazy and they fly down and go every direction uh, that's what we're is on my very close radar is to start working on my on my slam and i think we're first one we're gonna we're gonna try to get with you and see if we can't do a little hunt down there but then we're also thinking of going to kansas maybe doing something down there and i'd really want my second second bird in my slam to be my rio where where am i shooting rio well, if you go to Kansas, you're probably going to get a Rio out there. Yeah. Um, where we are at in Nebraska, it's pretty unique because they got Miriams, Rios, and Easterns all in the same spot. Oh, wow. So you'll shoot a, you'll shoot a pure white one one time, and then the next day you go out and you shoot it. It looks like an Eastern. You know, and we've had guys come out there like they want to shoot a white bird because they're from Michigan mm -hmm. or whatever. And um, so you shoot the white and they pass up on the one that looks like an eastern you know i always tell everybody look you can kill two birds let's shoot one you get one on the belt and then we'll go for the white one after that. that's awesome so how does that white face work i don't know you know the, the dnr there so one of the guys that guides with us is he's actually a fisheries guy but he loves turkey hunting and he's really into the turkey thing in nebraska and so he said they've introduced rios and miriams in different spots when they did it and then the Easterns just come from the east, from sure. Iowa. And um, I said, well, how do we know what they are? He said, like, honestly, he said, most of them are hybrids. But he said, if it's white, it's a Miriams. Yeah. And if it's buff colored, it's a Rio. <laughs> if it's an Eastern, it's an Eastern. He said, call it what you want. But um, I always, I also wonder about Nebraska, because Nebraska has the most booming population of turkeys in America. So I always think, like, you know how they say like a mutt dog is is more uh, yeah it's better than a purebred right right and I wonder if that has anything to do with you just, know all them different birds I don't know that's just my theories you but, know I but. mean everybody's got their theories I'm sure there's an answer because even here in Michigan we've got the smoky gray yep. and everybody thinks oh it's a mix between between a farm bird yep. and an eastern and stuff like 
It's just a color phase. That's what I'm thinking. You know, like a black squirrel versus a gray squirrel. Yep. They're the same thing. Yep. It's a different color phase. And yeah, and down here in uh, southeast Michigan, I would say there's probably more smoky grays down here than there is anywhere else. I, I believe that. I, I'm telling you, every time I go out, I see two or three of them. Yeah. And unfortunately, in the spring, they generally, I have yet to see a smoky gray tom. Anything with a beard on it, that's gray, because that, that would be my number one target lister. But no I, doubt. I, but here in, in Michigan, we're not allowed to shoot, you know, the, not yet, at least the hens in the springtime. And uh, I don't know. So that was another good segue. I'm transitioning real well on this podcast. <laughs> You're doing great, man. You're what, doing great. What I'm are contributing you, nothing. <laughs> what do you think about, you know, the so you come from hunting Michigan for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've seen the population go from where the hell are the birds to oh my lord here they are and so now with the one beard the one beard in the spring and then one a day in the in the fall how do you think the dnr is doing right now on managing how many birds we could take per year yeah i mean i think there's a lot of us like you guys and me that we'd like to be able to shoot too i don't know that that would hurt the population or wouldn't hurt the population but um whatever they're doing it's working sure you know i mean and i think there's more turkeys than there is deer oh they're everywhere For i sure. mean everywhere and you mm -hmm. you go in any city you go in any i mean they're everywhere and uh shoot they're they're right across the street from suburban show place i'm telling you right now last year um so i do all the, i do this i work for the company that does the sound and lighting and this as you found out who on thursday so conveniently found out <laughs> i helped him out hook up his uh his projector to his computer he's like what the hell and i got a phone call from one of the guys that we work with he's like ah, i can't get this guy's thing going so i grabbed the right cord i already knew the problem walked down there and Seth's like what are you doing i'm like oh, i'm plugging your computer and it's like oh you work here I'm like oh yeah we do all the av stuff I'm like damn i wish i would have known that but we were doing a show here for i, I forget whatever whatever benefit was going on that that week and uh Somebody sent me, a, sent me a picture. My dad sent me a picture of him holding the turkey. I'm like, oh, shit, I thought you were working here today because he just walked by. He's like, no, yeah, I'm working. He's like, I'm in the gold room. I'm like, what the hell? So I walked down there, and he's got this dead turkey laying right in the middle of the, of the hallway right over here by the hotel. Apparently, somebody left the door open. This thing ran into the door and killed itself in the middle of the hallway in the suburban. I'm like, we're out here trying to gobble at these things and cluck at and just spending hours on end chasing these things, and one runs right in here. Big old Tom, too. Like, what the hell? So, yeah, I think the, the DNR definitely does a, did a good job in relocating, and I don't know if you know any of the backstory how they, how it happened. Um, here and there, you know, as far as the planning and stuff. Yeah, goes. but the, the planning. So the one cool thing that I learned about, and I'm not to, not to take up too much of your time, but I did learn that in the U.S. it's illegal to purchase animals like this and plant them into uh, a foreign kind of so that's like everyone's like well why why can't we just get miriams to buy some miriams plant them here in michigan and do that because it, it's not so we have to trade and so what we did is we went down and i'm not sure where but apparently the the uh turkey federation traded i believe bobcats to another state and they like 80 or 100 or something of them then planted them somewhere up by the mount pleasant area and they just took over. Now, this is all hearsay, this is what I'm hearing. So I, th I think that was pretty interesting to where, and this is a law that was back down in like mountain times, mountain men times, that you're not allowed to purchase with money because back then there was no money, so you had to trade for it. So we traded an animal to get 
more Easterns here, and now all of a sudden here they are taking off. Oh, but, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I, I know that uh, a lot of our birds came from Missouri and Iowa that we I think it was Missouri. So. We gave them bobcats or something like that. And somebody, if, if I'm wrong, let me know. But I, I heard that from a biologist. But, yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, give me a give me a closer. How, how's the, the company doing? And then give yourself a last little plug. <laughs> uh, company's doing good. We've got some new stuff out this year. Um, try to always, you know, find people that are, you know, like-minded as far as outdoors goes. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of partner up with like you guys. Um, got the new copper calls. You guys know the um, new couple new box calls and um, yeah, the company does good. It's a uh, it's a hobby business for me, so I, I, I'm sure I could do more if I had more time to do that instead of laying blocks and bricks. But sure, you got to pay the bills somehow. Got to pay the bills. So how do we how do we get a hold of Bullies Game Calls? So the best way to get a hold of me would be on my website, BulliesGameCalls.com. Um, also, uh, uh, Facebook page. In um, I'm in a few stores on the west side of the state. Nothing really over here. Nothing major. Um, just uh, never really pushed too hard for that. I probably should have, but I just never did. Like you said, I mean, you got a second job just like I, I mean, this is this is our hobby right here, and we right. do this for fun and, you know, for our own experiences maybe. And uh, um, I, did, I was going to pull one aside. You had a, a duck call guy yeah. kind of right next to you. Yeah. Can you shed a little light on him, give him a plug? Because I was pretty interested. He's got a pretty good sound of duck call. And then he was also telling me, I don't know if it's something that you want to talk about. If not, we'll edit no, it out. No, that's great. There, He was talking to me about you guys were kind of kind of team up a little bit on a couple of your equipment yeah. setups. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I've, I've always been told by a lot of people, and I've always had the thought myself, uh, you know, I need to get into some other calls because, you know, you do a show like this and, you know, one-tenth of the people that come through the door – turkey on sure so you're, you're already limited to you know the amount of people that you're selling sure. to to begin with and anyway um actually met dale our boys were playing baseball against each other in little league and he dale's went, from what company he's from dto outdoors okay uh dto game calls and he um he was telling me that oh, yeah, i am making duck calls and he knew who i was you know from whatever shows through the years or whatever and i told him well you know you have to come out and check out how I build them or whatever sometimes. And so then he starts showing me these duck calls, you know, and I'm like, man, these things are. And then a, a kid that's on my pro staff, um, big duck and goose caller, real good at it. So he went over and him and him and Dale were helping. He was helping Dale tune calls. And so sure. we kind of all just started hanging out and um, just a super guy and great product. And I've got the uh, um, DTO grunt tube. I saw that. I think it's just phenomenal. Sure. And um, it's got the, the insides of it are real unique. And um, he makes his own insides for some of the duck calls. Mm -hmm. And he does all custom stuff. And it's just, it's really cool. So we're going to kind of partner up and figure out how we can work together more, but still kind of keep it separate. You sure. Know? Sure. I mean, at some point, it's got to be pretty expensive getting some of the stuff, especially, I don't know really the process of making a, a turkey call. But I know you need some kind of lathe, you need a mill, you need all kinds of stuff to make a duck call, something that you guys could share. And, and you know, you, especially with that copper top, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And it sounds great. But I would have to imagine it took a little bit to fine tune that thing because if you're not a real good on a pot, it's, 
it's pretty difficult to use, but once you get it down, I mean, it's 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 a badass call. Yeah, it's got a lot of rasp. So, I mean, with you guys teaming up with equipment and stuff, you can kind of share some of the cost and yep. keep it cost effective for the consumer. Exactly. I mean, you guys are awesome cost effective. It's like, what, 45 bucks for your glass, for your glass over? Yeah. And then eight or nine bucks was a show price, I believe. For the mouth call. For a mouth call, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, you definitely keep it nice and, and cheap for the consumer. And mm -hmm. I don't know why anybody would use any other call. I've never used any other call in my whole entire life. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's the only call that I ever use because I have only hunted turkeys one year. <laughs> he did, did pretty good last and, year. And I'm terrible with the call. I tried learning the mouth calls last year. and It's kind of a comic relief when i get one in my mouth because everybody's just laughing at me yeah mouth calls definitely takes some it's time. tough um i started getting the hang of the the glass but the pot call <laughs> yeah yeah so we're, we're gonna that to these guys we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna teach him on this on a call and that way he can bring his dad and all them and out you guys actually show, I, I brought one in with uh you brought the box with call. your box call okay. i brought your box call out on my first solo by myself, turkey hunt, I, I took my stepdad with me. We went out to my property that we lease for deer hunting, and um, I was like, I know there's turkeys, and I know where they roost, so let's go try. We went out there and sat, and um, we got a bunch of birds, a bunch of uh, hens come in, and then and then this just, I mean, this thing was dragging its beard across the field. It was so cool. I got so much footage, probably 20 minutes of this thing coming, and just do a little dance, he spin around. He doesn't little... know. He did, he saw the full show. He doesn't even know it. He saw the full show. He came in. He came yeah, in all it was strut, the whole was thing. Like, and drum and doing I'm texting everything. these guys, and I'm like, how often should I call? They're like, they're like, hit it every now and then. Like, hit it this many times, and then wait this long. And I would hit it, and it would do a bunch of shit, and then it would start walking again closer. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, hit again. I got him all the way into, like, 25 yards, and my stepdad missed it. Shot right over his back. I don't know what happened. He shot twice, missed it. So he's all bummed out. I got a little video. There's a little video of it on our YouTube channel. It's like a two-minute video. But uh, check that it out. was with your bully's call, the box call. And I I felt fairly confident that it didn't sound like shit. But then I watched the video, and I was like, it sounds like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not because of the call, but because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, it sounds like he liked it. Yeah, it worked. It worked, and I don't know what I'm doing. So, But awesome. So you guys, uh, big turkey hunters, go ahead, check out bully's game calls. We've been saying it for the last two years. So. Go yeah. out there, get check out that copper top if you're advanced. If not, they got box calls, they got pot calls, glass overs, everything you need to get a hold of Bullies game calls. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, Seth. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, guys. Thanks Absolutely. a lot, man. We'll be seeing you soon. Yep. All right. That was sweet. Good job. Thanks, Seth. Is that your first podcast? No, I've done it. Oh, okay, sweet. Too.